Wow. That was, uh, that was quite an introduction. Um, I like that. Uh, I love Brian from a distance. That was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I thought that was the best part of the whole thing there. That was great. Well, it's, uh, it's easy to love someone like James, you know, when you see someone like him, you know, involved in the mission, you got to get excited about that. And I'm supposed to talk to you about uh, the cost, you know, of missions. And uh, the first thing I would tell you, and I told James I would say this, is that uh, just if you really want to understand that, just go listen to what James said yesterday. Um, I don't, it's hard to know what to, to add to that. Um, so I'm just going to talk to you the same way that I might, you know, uh, talk to my own kids. I mean, not that you're kids, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, whenever you get old, everybody seems like a kid to you. But uh, so I just want to talk to you this morning the way that I would talk to my own kids uh, about the mission and, and have talked to my own kids uh, in the same way. And uh, so you'll have to excuse me. It might be a little rough at points, you know, uh, just because that's the way I talk to my kids. And uh, <laughs> so the first thing I would tell you, uh, stay away from boys. Um, and uh, I mean that with all my heart. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sam will tell you that they're rotten to the core, uh, so good luck with that. Um, so stay away from boys and uh, stay away from girls. <laughs> no, girls are pretty sweet. Girls are sweet, but uh, boys are rotten. That's kind of our rule at the house, that girls are sweet and boys are rotten. And uh, my wife's like, that's a real double standard. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I'm really at peace. And so like, uh, we talked about the, the girls who I'm just like, you know, they're like, well, what, you know, what about, you know, dating? And I'm like, what, 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 what are you talking about? Uh, that's, uh, you don't need to do that. All you need is Jesus and your dad. And, um, and, uh, and they're like, well, what about Hudson? I'm like, he's on his own. Uh, He's, he's bigger than I am now, so uh, he, he can take care of himself. Uh, the boys know at, at the house that their job is to, uh, the job of the guys is to take care of the girls. And uh, so uh, the guys have a little bit different expectation, I expect. But, uh, but Mindy's really good about trying to prepare the guys you know, about how to pick a good wife and all that kind of stuff. But I would say that the partner that you pick is, uh, it's gotta be one of the most important decisions that you'll make with regards to the mission. And uh, man, I got really lucky. And um, I can say that because uh, she's, she's not here this morning and uh, it, would, it, would, it would embarrass her. And it also shows that she's not really that dedicated to Christ because <laughs> <laughs> she's not here this morning. But uh, um, no, but I really did get lucky. And um, I, I certainly would not be here today if it was not for her. She is, uh, she's really amazing. She's so sweet. And uh, just like sugar, man, she is just the sweetest thing. Man, she's so good looking. And uh, she really is. What, what's wrong with that? I, I think she really is. I think she's beautiful. I cannot believe that I get to be married to her every day. She's, uh, she's really amazing. And uh, she is a great mom. And uh, I can tell you that, you know, if you are thinking about getting married, you need to think again. Uh, because the, the marriage partner you pick uh, will have everything to do with how you are involved in the mission. And uh, I remember when I met Mindy, uh, I met her, you know, and as soon as I met her, I knew I was going to marry her. And uh, she didn't know that at the time, but I, I knew that I was going to marry her. And uh, 
we were watching this video uh, at, well, we were going to Baptist Bible College at the time, and so uh, we were watching this missions video. They do that sometimes there, and so we were watching that, and when we were walking around outside, and she told me, she said, uh, she said, you know, with or without you, she said, that's what I'm going to do with my life. And I thought, man, I, I need to marry this broad before someone else gets her. And, uh, and so um, I did. And um, so uh, it really worked out well for me. Not so much for her, but uh, it has worked out really well for me. And uh, so I, I say, you know, pick a, pick a wife uh, who wants to be involved in the mission. Pick a wife who really loves Jesus Christ. And, uh, man, she has just been, uh, she has been the thing that has really made our ministry uh, in London. And so anybody can get up and preach. Um, but, to, uh, but to be a godly wife, that's uh, something I obviously can't be. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be really hard, you know, to be a godly wife, to even know how that fits into the mission and how to do it really well. So guys, make sure you pick a good one. Hold out. Uh, don't just uh, marry the first girl that uh, flirts with you. Uh, you want to hold out for a godly woman. And uh, it served me really well. So talking to my kids, I always you know, try to encourage them to make sure that they pick a good husband, pick a good uh, wife, and uh, you know, be better to stay single uh, than to uh, marry someone who is not godly. Uh, that would always be better for the mission. So when I'm talking to them about the mission, as I'm talking to you this morning, you know, I would say that, uh, well, I, I would give them an illustration. I was talking to this guy, um, and he came over and he was asking me, he's like, I want to plant a church. And so uh, here in London, I said, okay, what's your plan? And he said, um, he said well, I want to take over a church uh, that's dying. And um, he didn't have one at the time. He's just saying this kind of my idea. I want to take over a church that's dying. And, uh, and then I want to revamp that, kind of do like a, a restart or a relaunch. And I told him, I said, that's a great plan. That, nothing wrong with that plan. Absolutely. Go and do that. I said, but here's what you need to remember. And always got to keep this, you know, in your sight all the time is that uh, when you go in and when you, you know, paint the walls and you put up a new sign outside and you uh, launch the new website, you know, you get the blog going, you know, and you get the praise band and you revamp all the children's curriculum and you get the t-shirts, you know, the stupid no religion, just Jesus t-shirts that you wear on the street, you know, and when you get all of that stuff, just remember that you still haven't done anything. You still haven't done, you know, one single thing with regards to the mission. Uh, because the mission is to lead people to Christ and to make disciples. That's the, that's the only way that we really move the needle forward is when we do those things. And so you have to always keep that in your sight. And are you doing that now? Is there anybody that you're trying to reach for Christ? Is there anybody that you're trying to disciple? Everybody needs uh, a Paul in their life and everybody needs a Timothy. Every one of us should have both of those in our life. We should all have a Paul, we should all have a Timothy. And so that is what the mission is. And really, when it comes down to it, the opposition that you're going to face is that they're always, I say they, you know, the devil, the world, and the flesh, they're always uh, simply trying to do one thing. They're trying to get you to quit. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. 
So I'm going I'm to share a couple of passages with you that have helped me uh, to make it through. So if you look at Daniel chapter 3, I'm going way back to even when I was a child. This is probably one of the most influential stories. Daniel chapter 3, verse 9 You guys probably know this story. This is when Nebuchadnezzar sets up the golden image and he uh, sets up his own little praise band. And um, he says, whenever the music plays, then you have to bow down to the image. And so you had these three young people, you know, and people speculate that they were probably uh, teenagers or maybe a little older than that, but not much. They were young people. They, I mean, these guys, they were like Kaya, that age, right? And um, man, and Kaya's pretty great, isn't it? Uh, my daughter has been able to spend about a month or so uh, in Kaya, and she has just had just such an amazing time. It's been so good for her. I, I'll never be able to thank you enough uh, for what you've done for my daughter, just being her friend and stuff like that. So... Uh, I'm going to stop talking about that because I'm going to cry and uh, I'm not supposed to do that because I'm a man. Um, so in D- Daniel chapter 3, uh, verse 9, uh, these, uh, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they spake unto the king, um, and they said, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Wouldn't that be great if everyone had to start their conversations with you like that? <laughs> they came up, oh, Sam, <laughs> live forever. Uh, they had to talk, talk to you like that. That'd be great. But they said... Uh, Thou hast made a decree that every man should hear the sound of the cornet, all the praise band, and then worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, uh, they should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And it says, And there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. Uh, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they brought these men before the king. He said, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the whole praise band, uh, that you bow down that, to the, and worship the image that I have made. He says, well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God? You, you hear that question? He says, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, think about that for a second. You know, you know, we look, we read the story and we think, man, these guys are rock stars, right? These guys are really amazing uh, they, you know, they stand up for their faith. And, but when you think about the context uh, of this situation and the fact that they had this great faith at this particular time, because these guys right now, they are slaves, right? They've been drug out of their homes. He, Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and he picks the best and the brightest. And he says, I'm going to steal them away from their families and I'm going to bring them to Babylon and I'm going to train them and they're going to serve just like they're doing now. They're serving so he gets the brightest minds and all that kind of stuff. 
And so that's exactly what he did. And not only did he take them away from their families and take them out of their promised land, uh, but then he, he, he burnt the place to the ground. They have already uh, a little history with fire, don't they? Their, their homeland is, is burnt to the ground. And so it's in the midst, it's in that context, it's in that setting. That's pretty traumatizing as a young person, right? Snatched away from your family, your home, hometown burnt to the ground. And, and so when he says to them, if you don't bow down, um, then I'm going to throw you into the fire, uh, he, they know that he means it, right? And not, not only that, but they know that he can succeed at it. Uh, God has already allowed him to do that once. And so um, that's why Nebuchadnezzar tells them. He, he's reminding them. He's saying, you guys remember, right? Uh, I've done this before. He's reminding them. He says, and who is that God? He's reminding them, the God that you're serving. He didn't save you before. So who's going to deliver you out of my hands now? And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they answered the king, and they said unto the king, and this is just, I remember when I was a little kid reading these words, and um, I, I just thought, this is, this is how I want to be. They said, uh, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? It just, uh, it, it just, fills me with so much fire inside. Every time I read these words, I just want to start punching people in the face. Do you feel that way, Eric? Yes. yes. <laughs> you, just want to, you just want to go out and tell someone about Jesus Christ like right now, don't you? And maybe not right now because it's freaking cold outside, but uh, you want to go share the gospel with people. They said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We, we don't even have to think about it, they said. We don't have to carefully choose our words. We don't have to deliberate. He says, they said, uh, if it be so, uh, do you see that? They're, they're, these guys are realists. They're young people and they're realists. They said, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. We, we have no questions about his ability. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And you have to know that. That, that is being a realist. Being a realist uh, is not the same thing as being pessimistic. Being a realist is, is knowing the reality of who you serve and that he is able to deliver you from the burning, fiery furnace. And they said, and they even go farther, and they said, and he will deliver us. And they're saying, if he chooses to, he will deliver us. He is perfectly able to deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But this is the good part. But they said, but if not, even if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And a lot of times when I was a kid, you know, when they would tell the story about this, uh, the amazing part of the story uh, was that, you know, they came out of the fire, 
right? And they walked out, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, man, who, there's a, a fourth in there that's likened to the Son of God, and, and they're just walking around, and as kids, we we're like, man, that's so amazing. They're like walking around in the fire. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that, right? That would be like, cool, you're like walking around in the fire, and when they come out, um, uh, they, it says their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, not a single bit of the fire ever came near them, Right? And you're like, that's really cool. And even the guys, they had to heat it up seven times hotter. And uh, the guys that threw them in, it was so hot that they, they died just throwing them into the fire. And we were always like, that's cool because those guys freaking suck, right? <laughs> uh, so they deserved what they got. And, um, but then they came out of the fire and we're like, you know, and they're like, yeah, what do you think about that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar? And uh, what are you going to do now? And they totally, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar totally kind of, changes his policy. I mean, they literally changed the policy of the largest empire in the world at that time uh, because of their stand. But for me, you know, now as an adult, uh, that's not really the, the amazing part of the story for me. Uh, if I was talking to my kids now, I would tell them that the amazing part of the story uh, was that they were willing to go into the fire in the first place. And you have to know, if you're going to get involved in the mission, uh, you have to know that, you know, just because our God is able, just because you know that he's able to deliver you, um, that, that doesn't mean he will. It, it doesn't mean that. It, it, it might mean that it's just, really hard. We think of the story of Peter, remember when he got thrown into, into prison, um, he was preaching the gospel, and Peter, I like Peter, he was really bold, he didn't think before he spoke, and so I really identify with Peter uh, a lot, and he, he would just, he just go out there, he was just bold, and I think that we need a lot more of that. And he was preaching the gospel, so they took him and they threw him into prison, and then everybody prayed, right? And then the angel comes and just opens up the door and they just kind of stroll on out. And then he goes and knocks on the door of the, of the prayer meeting. And they're like, who's that? And they, the, you know, she's like, it, he says it's Peter. It must be his ghost, right? Because they're assuming he's dead and he's, he's alive. I mean, just such a miraculous delivery, right? And, uh, but, you know, and we think that's just amazing. But uh, it wasn't amazing for James in the next chapter, was it? because uh, they cut that cat's freaking head off. It, it, where, uh, where was the delivery for him? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't mean because you serve the Lord, if I can say it this way, I hope you understand what I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Uh, have you guys ever read that book by Joel Osteen, uh, Your Your Best Life Now? You guys ever read that? Anybody ever read that? Nobody has read that book. Man, now that is the power of this church right there. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, you that is, it, the, the, it is a great book. It is a great book uh, for feeding your fire at the house you know, for keeping you warm during the winter. That is really all that that is good for. And that is what is wrong with Christianity today, 
right there. That is what we're fighting against. I freaking hate mega churches. They get on my nerves, man, because they're, it's, it's always about us and that God is on your side and he's there for your success. And, and you guys have been preached too long enough here that you know that that's a bunch of bull crap. Uh, we are here to serve his pleasure. We are here to serve his needs. We're here to serve his glory. And if that means that we go in the fire and we don't come out, then so be it. If that's what it means, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful. Just because you pray really hard doesn't mean you're going to have a successful ministry. Jeremiah preached all of his life. And by all accounts, he was a failure. Noah preached for over a hundred years. And he just won his family. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have great success. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to feel fulfilled. Paul said in the prime of his ministry, he says, we've, we've got fightings without and we have fears within. Paul, you know, he talked about how that when he came into Athens and in other places, he talks about the, the great sorrow that he felt continually in his life. He, he gives long lists of all of the hardships that he went through. Uh, if this is our best life now, uh, Paul really got the short end of the stick. Because I'm telling you, his life sucked. It was awful. It was not very fun. But it was okay, because even in the midst of that, he had great joy. He had great joy, not because of what his experience was, but because of who he served. That is what he lived for. He lived to serve Jesus Christ. You have to be willing, like these young men, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to go into the fire, even if it means that I don't come out. But even if I don't come out, even if that's what it means, then you need to know that I will not bow down. I will not conform. Even if it means that I go into the fire. Because that's what the world wants you to do. It wants you to conform. That's what it wanted the, the three Hebrew boys to do. And they said, listen, he's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, he's able to give you a successful ministry. But even if he doesn't, he's able to give you a very fulfilling and happy life. But even if he doesn't, he's able to give you a great marriage partner. But even if he doesn't, he's able to make you famous. But even if he doesn't, I still will not bow down to this world. You have to be able to, you have to settle that question. That's the reason why that they weren't careful to answer him is because they had already settled that question long before that they had arrived at that moment. And you have to settle that question now. You are not going into, into this to be famous. You're not going into this to be fulfilled. You're not, oh, good grief. You're not going into this so that you can inspire someone. Please, man, please stop talking like that. I, you know, I hear people saying that all the time. I was telling Brandon when we did the postscript, uh, I, I hate being inspired. I, I don't want to be inspired by things. I hate inspirational movies. We're like, you know, flipping through uh, Netflix before we deleted our account because we don't like pedophiles. But uh, so we deleted that. But um, 
and we were, we were flipping through there and we were watching the trailers and it was saying the very first thing on the screen was a very inspirational movie. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I just moved on to the, and Mindy's like, well, what, what, that might have been good. And it's like, no, it was inspirational and it had Sandra Bullock in it, so I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. I don't want to be inspired and I don't really want to inspire anybody. That's, that's, not, that's not the reason why I do this, because that stuff goes, that stuff leaves, that stuff can be taken from you. People are like, man, you know, I just want to inspire someone with my life. Man, kiss my, uh, no, I won't say that. Uh, I, I, that's not what I'm here to do. That's not, that's not what my life's about. And I don't believe that that's the life that the Bible teaches us that we should live. We are here to serve Jesus Christ. We are here to serve His glory. We are here to serve His mission. That is all that there is. I can't even count how many times that I have said that at our house. The mission is all that there is. And everything else that we do is not unimportant. Mowing your lawn, it's important. I had to really learn that. I had to learn that the hard way. The small things in life are important. But the reason why they're important is because these are the things that support the mission. They can't become the mission. Your job, you're not, you don't have your job because God wants you to have some flourishing career so that you can be a well-adjusted, fulfilled person. You have a job because it supports the mission. That's the reason why you have a career. That's the reason why you have a family. That's the reason why you have this church. That's the reason why you have your friends. That's the reason why you have your health. Everything is there in order to support the mission. Okay, so uh, let me just uh, try have you turn over to First Chronicles chapter 12. I'm just about finished. I... First Chronicles chapter 12, verse eight. I got this verse from Sam. He was preaching on this in checkpoint. And uh, so we're moving forward in my life a little bit. And um, I'm trying to give you some sort of a timeline because I want to be like James. It was great. The way you put your whole testimony throughout that thing. Man, it was good stuff. And uh, they do not build the masks to catch the snot, right? When you're crying, you know, it's terrible. And I had all kinds of snot on the inside of my mask after listening to James yesterday. It was, uh, that's gross. Um, it was just wonderful. But um, I, I learned this verse uh, listening to Sam. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. He was preaching on this a long time ago, and I read this verse, and it says here about the Gadites. This is how we are supposed to be. If, we, if you want to know, you know what my life is really supposed to look like, if you want a good model of what your life is supposed to look, lo- look like, then you want to be like the Gadites. It says in the Gadites, it says, they separated themselves unto David. That's what you need to do. You need to separate yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ, your king, who you serve. Separate yourself into the hold of the wilderness. It says men of might. That's men. That's women. Everybody, you need to be men of might. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, being strong in the power of his might, right? You need to be men and women of might. It says men of war, fit for the battle. Just like you heard, it's preparation. That's why I can't add to that. It, it's, it's about preparation. You have to be fit for the battle. 
You have to be a person of war. You cannot be a person who is afraid of the fire, and you cannot be a person who is afraid of the fight. You have to be willing to fight, because that's what this is. It is a fight. It is a fight against spiritual wickedness. We're not here fighting against people. We're here to save people and love people, but we're here to fight against spiritual wickedness. And that spiritual wickedness is always going to be trying to get you to quit. And you have to be fit for the battle. You have to be a person of war that can handle shield and buckler. You have to be able to handle the Word of God. You have to be able to handle the Word of God. That's how you get fit for the battle. And it says here, it says, whose faces were like the faces of lions. That's the kind of face that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had. You, you, can't, you can't make a deal with a lion. What this world always wants you to do is they want you to be uh, tame. They want to tame you and control you. They want you to conform and they want to control you, but you cannot, you cannot allow that to happen in your life. You have to have the face of a lion, and you have to be willing to fight no matter what it takes, because there's going to be so much opposition that comes against you if you really want to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have to be willing to stand even when sometimes it doesn't even make sense to, and you have to be willing to do that. And I'm telling you, when we went over to London, Uh, by far the greatest opposition that we have had has been other Christians. We have had no problems from the Muslim community. I always get that question. Are the Muslims giving you problems over there? No, I I talk to Muslims all the time on the street, and most of them, you know, have never even read the Quran, and I have no trouble talking to them, and they talk to me about the gospel, and usually we have a somewhat delightful conversation had a couple of imams invited me into their mosque and we, we talked and stuff and they were perfectly delightful people. I'm not saying they're right or anything. I'm not trying to justify their positions. Uh, I'm just saying we haven't had any problems from them. But the people who have deliberately tried to destroy our ministry have been other Christians. And uh, that's always the way that it's going to be. I mean, the people that tried to stop Paul were the pseudo-religious people, Right? That's always the people who are going to try to stop you. Every time that you try to build something, there's always going to be some jackass that wants to come and steal it from you. There's always going to be some Christian that thinks he has the right to come and take what you've built. I don't know why they think that. But there's always going to be one. And you will build up a church and then someone comes in and tries to destroy the whole thing. That's happened to us a couple of times. And so what do you do? All you can do is you have to get up the next day and you have to keep fighting. That's all that you can do. You have to get up the next day. You can't cry about it. You can, you know, but it doesn't help. All you can do is just get up the next day and you have to try to win someone else to Christ. You have to try to keep making a disciple. You have to keep training men up. You have to just keep fighting. You have to determine that you're not going to quit. You have to have a face like a lion. Okay, let's turn to another passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and then we're going to be done. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 
these are just some of the key passages that have really helped me. And this is also a very familiar passage, just as familiar as Daniel chapter 3. But this is where Paul, Paul knows that he's, you know, he's going to be getting the axe pretty soon. And um, he's been on trial before and he was released, but he knows he's probably uh, going to heaven pretty soon. And these are kind of his last words to Timothy. So he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, so shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says, uh, preach the word. And that's what we have to do. We have to continue to preach, continue to preach the word. And I know that sounds almost trite these days, especially with the way that you guys are taught here. Uh, where we are at, that is, uh, that is a radical new thought. But you, we have to continue to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Uh, we obviously, we've seen this transpire in our lifetime, right? I mean, we've been living in this world uh, for some time now. He says, but watch thou in all things. He says, do you see this? Endure afflictions. That is just part of it. Pain is part of the package. And listen, I, I think I'm not trying to make it all doom and gloom. I think I have the greatest job in the world. Uh, I love my job. Um, but the reason why I love my job is because of who I serve. That is the only reason why I really love this job is because I get to do it for him, right? I mean, I would walk across glass for my wife and I would love every minute of it. And so I would certainly do the same for my Lord Jesus Christ, who I love more than anything in this world. That is the reason why I feel like I have the greatest job and I have joy even in the midst of some, some of the really hard times. You have to endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. He says, for now, he says, I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now that's what you want to be able to say. You want to be able to say, you know what? I'm ready to go. And man, I'm telling you, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to heaven so bad, I cannot wait for the rapture to come. Uh, I am so ready to go. And the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I fought a good fight. And he says, I finished. I have finished my course. That's what you want to be able to say. You want to be able to say that you finished. Now, your course may change. If Sam called me next week and he says, listen, I need you to come home, you know, because I need you to, you know, Hoover the carpets, and uh, we've got a hoovering problem, and so I need you here to take care of that. I'd be like, yes, sir, I'm, I'm there. If, your, your course can change, but you want to be able to finish your course. You don't want to quit. The course may change, but you don't quit the course. And there's so many times that you can be tempted to do that as you're in that fight, and you're trying to fight a good fight, and you don't want to be afraid of the fire, and you're willing to go into the fire, and you think, man, I can just, I can handle anything if, there, if I know that there's some kind of an end to it. But every single day that you get up, and every single week, there's always a new thing. There's always a new trial. There's always a new test. There's always a new heartbreak, you know? And it's one thing if people do it to me, but when they start to do it to your family, 
And you start, I mean, there's plenty of times my kids are like, you know, dad, how come you are sleeping on the couch? <laughs> how come you're up so late sometimes at night and you can't go to sleep? Is because there are nights whenever I'm, you know, up late, uh, you know, I'd like for you to think that I'm just have it all together all the time. But there are plenty of times when I'm up late and uh, I'm thinking, man, what have I done? What, what, what have I done to my, to my family? Because you, you know, when you're first starting, you know, you just, you're, you're, full of, you're full of fire, you know. And, uh, you know, but 20 years... 20 years in, and uh, <clears throat> you know, my uh, I, I don't know why you had me talk about this stuff, Sam. Jeez, I, I don't. You know, my wife, she really, she deserves, uh, so much more. And it's, I really would like to tell you the stories, but I, I honestly don't think I can make it through it. But I, when me and Mindy would sit together and, I mean, she would cry because she's a girl, you know. And um, we would talk and about how that, someone doesn't want to, doesn't want to, they don't want to be our uh, a friend to our children because because they're a believer. have to I have to look at my wife and I have to I have to be able to tell her I'm not going to quit cuz cuz that's what he wants me to do he wants me to quit. But I'm not going to. No matter what. And even if that means that everything falls apart, I told the church, I said, if, if all of you guys leave, uh, we'll just build another one and another one, and another one. But I told her, I said, uh, 
I'm not, I'm not going to quit. Because he is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. I'm just saying to you guys now, you got to, there's not a whole lot that can prepare you for that. When someone threatens your life or doesn't want to be your kid's friend or, you know, defames your name, causes half your church to leave and to lose a third of your support and talks bad about you and comes and acts like they're your friend and then tries to recruit all your church members so they can start their church and people that you trust and love telling you to quit and that you don't have what it takes and how you just really, you generally suck as a person. That's not funny. No, it's kind of funny. But <laughs> but when you're, you hear that stuff, you know, and you sit with your wife and you're just like, that's what he wants, babe. That's what he wants. You have to be able to decide that now because you will face the fire and you will get into a fight against that kind of spiritual wickedness. And you still love those people. You still love them anyway. You can't get cynical and you can't get mad at people. You still love those people. You still want them to be right with Christ. And you still want to love even your enemies. But against that spiritual wickedness, you have to have that lion-like face. You have to have that determination that you will not conform. You will not be tamed. And you will not quit no matter what. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. and It's only your word, Lord, that we can hold on to. It's only because we serve you, Lord, that, that we can have real joy in the midst of the fire. Because when we are in that fire, you are in there with us. When we're in the fight, Lord, Paul said, when I stood, no man stood with me, but you stood with me. And you stand with us. And we can stand in the power of your might, Lord, because you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we stand behind you, Lord. It is your face that they see. And that's why we have joy, because we're with you, because you are worth it. And that is why we won't quit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.